Turn over to Ephesians 1. Ken read uh, this morning Ephesians 1 for us. And, uh, you know, we're in the middle of a series on creating community in our midst. And we've talked about a variety of things the last four Sundays, mainly about how we kind of are making this transition from a Wednesday night Bible study into uh, small community groups that are going to be meeting at different nights and different times um, according to your schedule, not ours. And so we're having you fill out those little forms, and it's very important. Even if you're at this time, you're not going to be able to do that, please put your name down there. Just check that box. Don't be embarrassed. Just say, hey, you know, at this time, it's not going to work in my schedule or whatever. Or if you want to host one, that's great. If you want to uh, be possibly down the road included in the leadership of those, uh, there's a, a box there for you to check concerning that as well. And um, we're going to be starting them here the first week of April and kind of starting with a couple, and then in the fall kind of going for, for full bore with these. But we wanted to make sure that we set down the proper biblical foundation. We don't want to just be another church that does small groups. Um, that's not what this is about. It's really about a conviction that I share with the elders and, and um, others that we need to understand what the New Testament church was all about. And we've looked at the last couple of weeks, just in quick review, four reasons why we want to really make an avenue toward these community groups. And the first one, the first week we talked about was progressive sanctification. And that being not justification. Justification is that act of God when He stamps us righteous the moment we believe. But sanctification is something that's progressive. It's something that's moving. It's something that's working, God working out in our lives, making us more like Christ each and every day. And it's hard to do that just on a Sunday morning. But you get in a, plugged into a smaller group and there's accountability and things like that and, and that progressive sanctification just seems to happen a little easier in smaller settings. And the second thing we looked at was mutual care. In other words, the body of Christ is called to care for one another. And we kind of, the third thing we looked at was fellowship and how it's for believers. Believers have that ability to have fellowship. If you don't know Christ, it's going to be a hard time, you're going to have a hard time having biblical fellowship. It's not just coffee and donuts, okay? I mean, we have fellowship afterwards and we have, you know, the, the Krispy Kremes and the coffee and all the goodies the ladies do and they're very gracious at that over in the, cell, the fe fellowship hall and if you're able to stay afterwards, that's great. You get some great food over there. But that's not what necessarily what fellowship is. It's just not food and donuts and coffee. It goes deeper than that. It's getting involved in one another's life. And we looked at the one another list, the 30 things that God doesn't offer as options for us as believers, but He commands us. These are things, even the hard things, the things like confess, confessing your sins one to another, correcting one another, exhorting one another, and so forth. And those things aren't going to happen on a Sunday morning because we don't get to know each other that well on a Sunday morning. But when we plug in and we commit to a small group over a period of 18, 24 months, you're going to form relationships that are more intimate. You're going to form a little community, a little Grace Bible Church right there on the block in your home. <laughs> and you're going to get to know each other on a deeper level. And then last week, the last thing we looked at concerning the reasons why we want to allow these to happen is because we can experience and express the gifts of the Holy Spirit in those small groups. God has gifted each and every one of us, 1 Corinthians 12 says, with individual gifts. 
And sometimes you come on Sunday and, and you just sit here and, and that's, there's part for that. But it's also about service. God didn't save us to be spectators, beloved. He saved us to serve. And he, everyone, every believer has a gift that God has graciously gifted him. And sometimes in a bigger setting, it's awkward for people to utilize those gifts. Maybe in a smaller setting, you would be more apt to use them. And then last week, we also said, okay, so we want to do these community groups. We want to, you know, create more intimacy, all this stuff. So what? That's how we ended. We said, so what? If we don't have a proper view of the church first, we can do community groups till they're coming out our ears. It's not going to do a bit of good. And we talked about how we should have a high view of the church and how today in society, it's a low view of the church that dominates. And we took time last week and we looked at Acts 2, 4 to 42, 40 to 42, and we pulled out three things of that scripture. That as a New Testament church, these are things that God calls us to do. First of all, it was to forsake the world. He says, come out of the world. You don't add the world to the church. You come out of the world. Come, come out and be different. That's what it's about. Be separate. And then the second thing we looked at was that they were, they were to come into the church. You're not only coming out of the world as a, as a new believer, but you're, you're coming into the church. And we talked about adding yourself to the local body of the church. And we live in a society today that's kind of like, ah, oh, membership doesn't matter, whatever, you know, just come and go as you please. Well, in the New Testament, there's evidence in a lot of places that they actually added themselves to the role of a church. And it speaks to, to church membership. And also, thirdly, we talked about devoting yourself to that local body. Fixing your devotion on divine pursuits rather than earthly pursuits. And we kind of named three ways that that can happen. First of all, by your attendance. <laughs> you know, Ken was joking earlier. I think we had a little more than five people last week, Ken. Come on, man. Um, you know, but, you know, sometimes it's hard. It's always hard to be devoted to something in abstentia. It's impossible. You can't say, I'm devoted to the, the sports team of your choice, but, you know, you never go to a game, you never watch a game. You, you can't do that. The same way with the local church. And then also we talked about participation. What you get out of it is what you put into it. Whether it's the local church, or whether it's a small group, whatever. And thirdly, we talked about service. It's all about service. It's not about you. It's about serving Christ through the local church. That's what we're called to do. And He's gifted you and, and called you to do that. And so we want to encourage you to do that. And we looked at basically... Uh, five viruses that people are infected with. The church light virus. In other words, you know, it's kind of like, ah, uh, church has kind of lost its meaning today. The church used to be the hub in any society. Everything branched off from the local church. Now it's just one of the spokes on the wheel. And it spins around rapidly in our busy lives. And if we can fit it in, great. If we can't, that doesn't matter. I'm here to tell you this morning, it matters to Christ. He died for His church. Also, the feelings virus. Well, brother, I just don't feel God leading me to do this or do that. We've all been there. We've all said those words. You know, my words are, get over it. If something needs done, get involved and do it. You know, I mean, that's what it's all about. Or the ambition virus, you know. We have so much busy lives today and we're climbing the ladder of success in different avenues and in different ways. And this can even spill over into our own own personal lives. 
We're so ambitious today that somehow the church gets left in the shadows of our ambition. Or the fourth thing, the church alternative virus, which showed us that basically, you know what, people, they, they may come to a church, but boy, their, their devotion is everywhere. They're just spread so thin everywhere. And they're all good Christian ministries and, and Christian, you know, parachurch organizations and everything. All that stuff's great. But if you're, if that interrupts your devotion to the local body of believers that you're plugged into, you got a problem. And just to say, even, you know, we've even plugged in the church alternative. Somehow, we have concluded as people today that, you know what? Our family's more important than the church. That's what we concluded. We conclude that our family is more important than the church. Christ died for his church. And somehow we've got to get back to the, the, the mainstream of what the New Testament church was all about. And the last one was the leisure virus. I mean, we want to do anything. You know, if a playoff game's on Sunday morning or whatever, pregame show, whatever. You know, I mean, that's just the, the society we live in. We're going to be plugged in there and, you know, we can miss church. It doesn't matter. It does matter. It matters because when you're not here, part of the body's missing. And see, we have to understand, and we have to understand that our church, Grace Bible Church, is a unique church. Every church is unique in its own way. I mean, you just think of our name, Grace Bible Church. That's what I liked about this church. I asked when I first came here, the church had gone through some hard times, and I said, you know, do you think we'll have to change the name of this church to recover? You know, no sacred cows. I didn't know. I didn't want to. I thought, boy, I hope not because I love that name. It's a great name. It speaks of the grace of God. It speaks of His Word. And it speaks of the church. See, we live in a day, an age today, beloved, that churches are taking the name church out of their church. They don't want to be known as a church. Because somehow they think it's shameful. I don't want to get caught up on that, but you got things, the journey, the, the, the well, the, you know, whatever. You got all sorts of names for churches. But they purposely take out that name church. I don't know about you, but I'm proud that we're a church. Because Christ died for his church. The world's not going to understand that mentality, but as believers, I hope that we do. And the term church sets us apart. In all true churches, apart from all human institutions. Because that's not what the church is. The church isn't just another human institution. The church are those who have been purchased with Christ's own blood. No other institution in the world owes its existence to that fact. I don't care how big it is. How many times it's listed on Wall Street, whatever. No institution can say that, you know what? We were purchased with Christ's blood. And as we look at the calling of the church this morning, when we understand this high view of the church, today our society has taken the word church and it's, it's defamed it. It's, it's, it's made it low in daily conversation. Today, when you mention church, people think of a, a building made of bricks and mortar and wood on some corner somewhere with a steeple. Or some people may think when you mention the word church, some institutional hierarchy of, of religious orders, things that they were made to do when they were young, a bunch of 
to-do lists and don't do lists and, and all that comes to their rushing to their mind. See, to understand what the church is and why we should have a high view of it, we need to look at that word church. In the original language, it means to be called out or to call. That's what it means. It's referring to those who are called by God. Romans 8.28 defines this assembly of believers as we're gathered here this morning as the called according to His purpose. See, somehow we think that we're here for our own purpose. Somehow we think that we're here for our own agenda. That's not why the church exists. The church, the called exists because they're called according to whose purpose? His purpose. We're a group that are summoned together who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ by God for His purpose. This is not a human organization. We're not the result of some man's ingenuity that just said, hey, let's create this thing, church. We can make a lot of money on this. Or power. It's not built by good religious people. That's not what the church is about. Rather, we've been called by God into existence. I don't know about you, but that strikes right to my heart. It's God who calls the believers. And it's emphasized throughout the New Testament. I think you have some verses that are listed in your outline. We're not going to go on over the, all these, but I'll just name a couple. Romans 1, 6-7. Among whom you are also called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome. Beloved of God, called to be saints. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth to them that are sanctified or set apart in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. With all that in every place shall call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 Walk worthy of God who has called you unto His kingdom and glory. 1 Peter 5.10 The God of all grace who has called us unto His eternal glory in, by Christ Jesus. The entire church has been called into existence by God Himself. It doesn't exist because of the genius of man. It doesn't exist because of the charisma of its leaders. We'd be in real trouble here at Grace Bible Church if that was the case, the charisma of the leader, or the leaders, or the power of persuasive speech. That's not what creates a church. Or the affluence of its membership. That's not what makes a church or the effectiveness of the facilities that God's entrusted to them, or the wisdom that may be on their committees or ministry teams or the hard work of its ministry members. None of that makes the church. Ultimately, the church is the work of God. The true church is led by God's Spirit, through God's Word, by God's people, who are obedient to Him. It's just that simple. The true church is led by God's Spirit through God's Word in the lives of God's people who are obedient to Him. That's why the church has been so successful over the years. Not our church. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ. Has the church failed in some areas? Sure. Sure it's failed. And its weaknesses and failures are because God has chosen to work through human agents. <laughs> you and I. 
Sinful being saved by grace, God says, for whatever reason, He said, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow the church to be kind of worked out through these people. These people that I've saved. And when we succeed, beloved, it's not because of us. <laughs> it's because of Him. And when we fail, it's not because of Him. It's because of us. The main goal of the church is to let God work and to build His kingdom as we, His people, are obediently submissive to His Spirit and to His Word. And that's what Ephesians 1 kind of lays out here for us this morning. And I just want to look at eight quick things before us. When we talk about the calling of the church, what are we talking about? Well, first of all, in verses 4 and 5 of Ephesians 1, it says there, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. And jump down to verse 11. It says, in Him also we have, been, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. What's this speak to? It speaks to the, the aspect that we were called before. We even existed. It speaks to the, the very theological issue of election. The church isn't something that just happened accidentally. That's not what the church is. The church is a result of God's predetermined sovereign call on us. The Apostle Paul reiterates that in 2 Timothy 1.9. He says, God has saved us and He's called us with a holy calling. Not according to works, but according to His own purpose and His grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. The church is really fulfilling the, the predetermined destiny of God. A calling from beyond space and time. Do you know, beloved, that in God's realm of existence, there is no such thing as time? God doesn't look at His clock when He gets up. Oh, got up late this morning. Or, gee, got to go to bed early tonight. God transcends time. Everything is an immediate, eternal present with God. The church was as real to him before the world began as it is now. God continues to add to the church those whom he has predetermined would believe in Jesus Christ. I know that's hard for some people to hear, but that's the truth. And I don't know about you, but that gives me tremendous confidence. It gives you a sense of confidence because you know what? It's not about me. It's about God doing His work in and through us. You know, before I came to Grace Bible Church, I was working with the DA's office down in Southern California, liked the job, and, you know, was kind of in between churches and wasn't necessarily looking. And, and uh, But you know what? God already knew. That's not my plan for you, Steve. My plan for you is for this period of time to be at this church in Redwood City, and, and here's I've gifted you in this way. He knew that before I was even going to be born. Before the foundation of the world, God knew that He would use Grace Bible Church in this community. 
and the pastors throughout the years to, to preach the gospel faithfully and to see souls come to Christ. I mean, it thrills me every time someone comes to know the Lord through our church because it, it, it brings it back to the basics. That here's, that's why we exist. We're here to fulfill God's predetermined plan. People aren't saved by accident. The Lord is building His church. He's adding those whom He's called to His church. And that takes a tremendous load off of me. I heard one pastor, a reporter, asked him, a very successful church, he says, do you have a great desire to build the church? And the pastor replied with these words, and I thought it was great. He says, I have no desire whatsoever to build the church. Because Jesus Christ has already said He's going to build it, and I don't want to compete with Him. I just want to be a part of what He's doing. I want to be part of the process. Are you part of the process? Are you part of what God's doing in your own life in the local church? That's why there's no sense of panic or frustration. You know, you talk to, to some guys in ministry, and man, they're just freaking out. I, I worked with a pastor one time. He made his way to the back door every Sunday after the service. And before he went to the door, he'd go to his office. And there would be the counters of the offering money and also the, those who took attendance. And they'd hand him a piece of paper. And I knew every Sunday after I finished playing the music, if I walked back there, I could tell by the look on his face if we had more people today than we did last Sunday and if, we made more, if, if they had more money than they did that Sunday than they did the last in the offerings. Just by the look on his face. If the attendance was down and the offerings were low, ah, sourpuss face, grumpy. You know, I'd greet him back there and yeah, just thinking of moving on. I, you know, I mean, within Sunday to Sunday, it was that predictable. You know, there's no sense of panic or frustration in my ministry. I figure, you know what, I just want to be faithful to teach God's Word to God's people the best I know how. And, and just be used to God that way. All we need to do is rest in the Spirit of God and be faithful to commit our lives to Christ. And His promise, He says He will build His church. And He'll build it to the exact amount of people that He wants. So called before. Secondly, called out. Look at verses 7 and 13. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. And then jump down to verse 13. In Him... You also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This speaks of our redemption. Paul identified the church as those who have been graciously redeemed and forgiven by the Savior. See, we've lost that meaning today. Colossians 1.13 says this, God has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. When we were saved, God reached down and He pulled us out of the darkness and freed us from the power of darkness and put us in the kingdom of His dear Son. You know, you hear a lot today about people who, personally, I think, give the enemy more credit than he deserves. You know, there's a demon under every rock. If they have a cough, well, you know, that's you know, it's some kind of spiritual oppression or whatever. And they got all this stuff. 
remember talking to somebody one day and, and they were mentioning this and I said, well, maybe you're just sick. You know, maybe the enemy really doesn't have anything to do with this. Maybe you caught a virus. I mean, it doesn't always have to be this, you know, spirit of oppression and spirit of the flu and spirit of that and everything else. That, that verse in 113 Colossians says, He delivered us from the power of darkness. And we live in the kingdom of His dear Son. We have been called out of sin, death, and the world system into life. Romans 6, 8-11, 1 John 2 speaks to that. We're a redeemed community, beloved. That's what the true church is. It's those who have been born again by the Spirit of God. That's the only reason that we're part of a true church is that we're saved. If we weren't saved, if we weren't redeemed, we wouldn't be part of the true church. As the Bible speaks of it. And you say, well, what about those who aren't saved and kind of assemble together under some religious banner? And, you know, I, I did that for 18 years of my life. Went to church faithfully every Sunday. Went to church, went to church, went to church. You know, it's, it's, it's not the title on the, the church sign that makes it a church. It's what's in people's hearts. That's what truly makes up the church. Beloved, there are churches all across America, all across the world, that from the outside, you're looking in, you're going, man, that church is alive. I bet you it's going to be a disappointing day one day as we read in Ephesians 3, some of those churches are dead. Even though they look alive. Because alive to them is what the world says is alive. Rather than being called out from the world, they invite the world in. Somebody asked me one time as a pastor, what concerns you most about the local church? About your church? And I didn't even have to think. I didn't, I didn't even have to pause and say, let me, you know, let me think about that. Because the one thing that concerns me the most as a shepherd and pastor of God's people is that somehow there may be somebody here within the, the four walls here at Grace Bible Church that comes here week after week after week comes to Bible study, comes to hear the Word of God, sings the songs, who has never truly been saved. They're clinging on to some religious experience in their life. They raised their hand 40 years ago. They said a prayer. There's been no transformation. There's been no change in their life. They're the same person they, they were back then. They just added all the accessories of Christianity. That haunts me. I don't want someone within our church to stand before the Lord one day and say, Lord, I've done this, I've done that. Lord, Lord, haven't I prophesied in Your name? Haven't I... And he turns to them and he says, you know what? Depart from me. I never even knew you. Never even knew you. 
See, the church needs to understand from the very beginning what it is so that we can know the direction that we should be going. In Luke 6.46, Jesus says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things which I say? There's a painting hanging in a cathedral in Germany. And the title of this painting is it's called The Lament of Jesus Christ Against the Ungrateful World. And on this painting are some words. And here's what the, the text on the painting says. It goes along with the painting. It says, You call me Master and obey me not. You call me Light and see me not. You call me the way and walk me not. You call me life and live me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. If I condemn thee, blame me not. There once was an old pastor who was actually forced to resign his, his, his leadership at the church because he was a pastor for 30, 40 years and this before they had sound systems and everything and his voice was just shot. I mean, he couldn't get up anymore and, and speak. He just couldn't do it. Every time he'd go to speak, his voice would crackle and it just was uncomfortable for people to sit under his teaching. So eventually he took the advice of the church and he retired. Well, one day, one of his friends invited him to kind of this, this luncheon deal with kind of the higher ups in society. And he felt kind of out of place because he was kind of just a retired pastor, old pastor, and he was, he was very uh, um, humble guy. And he got to this luncheon and they had arranged this Hollywood actor to be there to kind of do a kind of a presentation, a recital of sorts before the, the people gathered there. And uh, the pastor just kind of felt out of place. And the Hollywood actor got up behind after they had some food, got behind this podium and he, he stands up there and he says, well, he goes, I'm here to recite uh, some things and I just want to know if I can take any requests. I'd love to recite something for you. Well, the old pastor sat there and he thought, here's my chance. So he raised his hand and said, yes, sir. He goes, Could you please recite the 23rd Psalm? And the actor kind of stepped back and he said, that's an unusual request, but I happen to know the 23rd Psalm. And so I'd love to do that on one uh, condition. And everybody kind of paused and looked at him and said, if you'll, sir, if you'll recite it after I do. So the pastor was like, oh, what did I get myself into? You know, I mean, this crowd is not my crowd. You know, I can barely talk. How's this going to work? And so with all the, the, the incredible voice that this, this actor had, he gets up there behind the podium and he recites the 23rd Psalm. Has all the inflections just right. I mean, the lyrics just flowed off his lips like poetry. Everybody was just in awe. He finished and everybody just, round of applause. And then he kind of turned to the pastor and kind of said, okay, your turn now, bud. So this pastor took a deep breath and he stood up and he began to recite 
the 23rd Psalm. With his crackling voice and barely able to hear him. But when he was done, you looked around the room, there wasn't a dry eye in the place. And the actor stepped back from the podium, kind of sensing what was going on there. And he said this, you clapped for me, but you wept for him. The difference is obvious. The actor said, I know the 23rd Psalm, but this man truly knows the shepherd. See, beloved, it's not about just coming to church. It's not about playing church. It's about doing what God has called us to do. If there's one thing the church must be, it's an assembly of people who know the shepherd. Anything less is not a church. So we're called before, we're called out. Thirdly, we're called from. Verse 4, that we should be holy and without blame before Him. Sanctification. We talked about this the first week we started this series, Progressive Sanctification. As Christians, we've been called out of the world to pursue holiness. 1 Peter 1.16 says, Be holy for what? For I am holy. We're called to be separate from the world. And I know this is a message that people aren't used to hearing. But that's the truth. That's what the Word of God says. We're to be non-compromising in our faith. James 1.27 even goes further. It says, keep yourselves unspotted from the world. See, the Lord desires the church, Ephesians 5.27, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and that it should be blameless, without blemish. As a chaste virgin to Christ, 2 Corinthians 11.2, God has called us to holiness, to Christ-likeness. It's not about coming here and singing some songs and feeling good. It's about living the Christian life, not just here for a couple hours. It's about living the Christian life 24-7. It's about coming through these doors and entering a real place. You know, where real needs are met. I, I praise God. I gotta ask somebody a couple weeks ago how they were doing and and I got an honest answer. In this last week, somebody asked somebody how they were doing, and they got an honest answer. And you know what the answer was? Not good. They had some needs. And you know what? The body of Christ is coming together to meet those needs. Which we would have never known about unless someone's willing to be vulnerable and say, yeah, i got a need. <laughs> you know, we want to come in here and, and have church and act like we're spiritual and, oh, you know, we're just walking on the water, you know. How you doing, brother? Oh, everything's fine. We lie through our smiles when in fact 
our families are falling apart. We're in debt up to our eyeballs. We may lose our job. We may even be out of a place to live. Our marriage is on the rocks, but we don't want to share any of that because it's kind of dirty and, you know, this is a church. First John 2.15 warns us not to love the world's system, which is opposed to God. We're being called to live holy lives in an authentic way with one another. And someone say, you know, the idea of getting in small groups and kind of sharing your needs, and that's, I don't know, I don't know if I would want to do that. That's what it's about. That's what the church is about. It's coming together and meeting one another where you're at, not putting on some facade. With that being said, we must protect the holiness of the church. We must emphasize the importance of humility in the church. And if you see humility in the church, then you'll see the confession of sin. You'll see church discipline being worked out. You'll see the worship of a holy God so that we could live in, in fear before Him. See, when a group is unholy, they may call themselves the church, but they're not the true church, beloved, unless they face the issue of sin. Someone once said, show me a church that doesn't preach on sin and I'll show you a church that's full of unholiness. And you can't just preach on it and do nothing about it. Otherwise, people think, well, biblical instruction is kind of separate from what you do in your everyday life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is a call to holiness. He says, The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is He that calls you who will also do it. We must recognize first the holiness of God and of Christ. You know, in the Gospel accounts, when people ran into Jesus and He revealed His glory, and He revealed His holiness, they were really fearful of Him. We're uniquely called, according to God's purpose, to be part of that purpose, which is holy, and that's the church. We're called before, we're called out, we're called from. Fourthly, we're called to. It speaks of our identification in the church. Look at verse 4 through 6. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy in without blame, before Him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the goodness of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us adopted in the Beloved. Just look at the prepositional phrases there. In Him, before Him, to Himself, in the Beloved. We're intimately identified with God and with Christ. And that's clear throughout Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 1.1 1, 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy unto the church of the Thessalonians which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 1.3 says our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Those other verses say the same thing. He that is joined unto the Lord is one Spirit. See, we, we have become intimately related to God. We have been adopted 
as his sons, the Bible says. That's what the church is. The church isn't a, isn't a group of people who sign on a dotted line and say, I want to be part of this church. It's not some kind of society committed to a certain theological belief or system of teaching. It's more than that. When we were saved, we entered into a personal relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ, and He added us to the church. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Our identification is in Christ. Somehow we think that we can draw lines. You know, this is where Steve Converse starts and this is where Jesus Christ ends. No, it should all be intermixed. That's a true Spirit-filled life. The life of Christ in your own life should be so intertwined that you can't differentiate between the two. You don't live one way on Sunday and the rest of the way, the rest of the week some other way. And we don't believe God is some cosmic killjoy that's up there ready to crush our every little desire and, and waiting for us to step out of line just so He can hit us. Rather, we have an intimate love relationship with Him through Christ. We're called before, we're called out, we're called from, we're called to. We're also called unto Revelation 7, or, or uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 to 9 speaks of the revelation that God has given us through His Word. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself. God has filled us with a great spiritual truths concerning life, death, God, man, eternity. And it's all found in this book. The Bible. We are called to live under the authority of the Word of God. That's what He calls us to do. He calls us to live and obey His Word. Colossians 3.16, Let the Word of Christ, what? Dwell in you, how? Richly. Christians are called to submit to the Word of God. See, that's, that's anti current society. Now, you chart your own course. You do your own deal. That's what the world is telling us. You come here Sunday morning to get your felt needs met. That's what church is all about today. That's not the biblical church, beloved. Christians are called to submit to the Word of God. It's not about us. It's not about what we want to do in our course in life, our purpose in life, and all this other crazy stuff that's floating around. I want to know what His purpose for me is. And when we meet together, when we plan together, different areas of ministry, one thing should be central to our minds. What does the Word of God say about this? If you got a problem, what does the Word of God say about this? But we're so quick to run elsewhere. That's one thing that kind of drove me in a, in a, in a weird way into the ministry. I'd never been taught anything about the Bible. was in a church for 17, 18 years. And after I got saved, I realized how important God's Word was, but I didn't know, you know, Adam from Moses. The slightest idea. I didn't know anything about the Bible. 
And it was my commitment to God's Word, which I believe was true, that kind of pushed me in that direction. I went to Bible school, I learned what the Bible said, and then I learned some of what it meant. Still trying to figure that out. But it's always been about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Why? Because that's what God's Word says. Christians mature by studying and applying Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We're to submit ourselves to His Word. And that goes for everybody. We're called before, we're called out, we're called from, called to, called under, called with. Sixthly, verse 10, that in this dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ. See, the ultimate purpose of God is to gather all things together in Christ to complete redemptive history. And the church is how that's happening. That's the symbol that God is using today. We're called to be one in the family of God. When I grew up, like I said, I went to church every week. But you would never take what you heard Sunday morning and come home around the breakfast table and talk about it. There was a clear detachment. Just It didn't, it didn't translate into your everyday life. Everyone kept his own spirituality to himself. You didn't talk about somebody's spiritual life. You just went to church. I mean, I remember times in our household that, you know, they'd have a big party Saturday night. And everybody would be drunk. And Sunday morning, you'd go to church. That just never made sense to me. But we've been called into this marvelous fellowship of unity. And Philippians 2.2 says that Christians should be of the same mind, that we should maintain the same love, that we should be united in spirit, intent on one purpose. But that love has to be based, it has to be centered in humility. He also says, look not every man onto his own things, but every man on the things of others. And that's really lived out by Christ Himself who humbled Himself even to the death of, on a cross. See, to have unity in any church, we must love one another with a spirit of humility. As long as everyone looks out for himself, there's no give and take in the relationship. It's not going to work. But when we recognize the reality of the sin in our own life, then it makes it a little easier not to stand there and point our fingers at somebody else. We realize how needy we are as a, as a people. And genuine humility is the result. I mean, personally, that's why I don't preach a self-help gospel. You know, something that says along the lines of, hey, you're all right, I'm all right. You know, just think positive and, hey, go get them, you know. Be somebody today. That kind of stuff. That's not going to get you into heaven, beloved. Um, everyone in that kind of church is there for themselves, what they can get. They're not there for the benefit of someone else. We're called to minister to one another. We're called before, called out, called from, called to, under, with, 
Verse 11, we're called on to the glorification. It says there, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. 1 Peter 1.4 says that we have an inheritance that's, listen to this, incorruptible. It's undefiled and fades not away. And not only that, beloved, but it's reserved in heaven. It's not even reserved here on earth. It's reserved in heaven. Christians, we need to be committed to glorification. Our focus should be future, not temporal, not present. We're not citizens of this world. Our citizenship, Philippians 3.20 says, is what? Is in heaven. We're not earthbound, tied to this evil world system. We've been made heirs of a boundless, eternal inheritance. So you're not going to hear a lot of social messages. You're not going to hear a lot of political messages. That stuff's temporal. You know, whoever becomes president next, hey, have fun. You know, I'll be praying for you. Not that we don't do our due diligence. Not that we don't get involved and vote. But you know what? It's going to be who it's going to be. And it's going to be exactly who God wants it to be. Because that's what His Word says. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Set your affection on things above, not on the earth. We're to look to Jesus, to His return, to His kingdom, to be fully established in our lives. Hebrews 11 says we're to look for a city whose builder and maker is God. I ask you this morning, is that where your focus is? Were you so caught up with the garbage down here on earth that you couldn't even see over the mound of stuff in front of you? Before, out, from, to, under, with, unto. Look at the last one with me. We'll close with this. Called for. Verse 6. It's so clear here. He says, To the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. To the praise of the glory of His grace. We've been saved for the proclamation of the Gospel. We've been saved so that we can share that message with others. We've been called to proclaim the glory of God's grace. The world should look at us as a people and say, look at that people. What a gracious God they have. That's why I love our church. We're a pretty gracious group of people. God should be glorified in how we live and in what we say. How we live out this faith every day. And we're to proclaim that glory and His salvation to a lost and dying world that doesn't have the answer. That's what we're called for. We're called to proclaim the Gospel. We've been redeemed to praise His glory. The glory of God is the greatest theme throughout Scripture. And it's probably the most important checkpoint in our own lives. Ask yourself this one question. When you come to a, a decision in your life or a crossroad in your life, this one question will tell you clearly what the answer is. Will my decision glorify God? It's very simple. Will my decision glorify God? See, the church was established to be the praise of His glory. We need to remember that.
that we were called before the world even began. We were called out of the world. Called from and to and under and with unto. And we're called for the proclamation of the gospel. Matthew 5.16 says it so clearly. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? And glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. Lord, we thank You that the true church isn't an afterthought. It's not something that You just dreamed up one day and said, ah, what, I've got to come up with plan B. But the church, in Your mind, has been around from the very beginning. And Lord, we pray that our church would have a high view of the church. That it wouldn't be just about coming here and, and sitting in a chair and hearing music and, and someone teach a message. It would be so much more than that. That we would remember that Jesus Christ gave His own life, His own blood for His church. And we're part of that church. And Lord, I pray that as the New Testament church developed and was born and they gathered together, not just weekly, it says they went house to house. It's almost like they couldn't get enough of each other. Obviously, we're not at that point yet. <laughs> but God, I pray that we would be. I pray that we would enjoy our, our fellowship with one another so much that we could put the church back to the hub of our lives instead of just an accessory that we do on Sundays. And Lord, I pray that this morning, if there's anybody here who is yet to put their faith, their trust in the living Lord, to come before a holy God and, and say, God, I'm needy. I'm a sinner. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need this gift of salvation that we have heard about this morning. You can't do it on your own. There's nothing you can do to obtain this. It's God graciously extending His hand to you. You need to call out to Him. You cry out to Him and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I want to commit my life to You. I want to commit my life to following the example of Your Son. Forgive my sin. He'll do that. He'll answer that kind of prayer. And He'll make the condition of your heart transformed He'll give you the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. He'll give you new desires that are honoring to Him. I pray that that would be your prayer this morning. And for us believers, I just pray that we would truly understand our position in Christ. Live up to all that You've called us to. Because for it to happen as a church, it has to happen first as individuals. Because that's how You've chosen to work through us. And Lord, I pray this morning that each one of us would be committed to Your calling upon us as the church, the bride of Christ. We thank you and we praise you, Father. In Jesus' precious name, all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand together and we'll close with a song.